we are talking about this need to unself. The very thing that is keeping us from everything that God wants to do in our life is ourself. We need to understand that it is only when we begin to recognize that we are our own worst enemy that we can then begin to see the result of victories and life that God wants to bring us. Uh, Last week, we saw the first picture of what it looks like to unself our lives as we looked at Jesus as he faced the temptation of Satan and this world. And we saw that the principle of unselfing our lives comes when we submit every desire to the will of God. That that great statement, the response of Jesus is key. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, when we begin to accept that my desires are not where life comes from, that me getting what I want is actually not the source of life, but it is when I come to God and I say, God, even though this seems to be something I need, I submit to what you say I need. I accept the the path that you have put before me. And when we submit ourselves to his will, that is when we find ourselves. That is when we begin to uh, receive truly the knowledge of what fulfills us and the contentment that comes uh, from knowing uh, that he has better things for us. Um, Today, I want us to look Again, and we are going through the book of Luke as uh, uh, we are um, uh, letting the words of Jesus take us on this journey that leads towards the cross and ultimately to the resurrection. And as we take that same journey, um, we are looking at his words um, uh, to come to that same result. Because the result was not the cross. That was one of the last steps, but the result was the honor and the glorification of Jesus. It says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father as he was exalted above all things. And you see, that's the same journey that God has for us, that yes, it is a journey to the cross for us, but you see, we've got to look beyond the cross that Jesus is going to call us home, and it says that we will rule and reign and be exalted with him. And so we move to Luke chapter 5 today to see this next step in in unselfing our lives. And it starts with a story in verse 27. This is what he says. He says, after this, you might have to, Click that, or you can follow with me. There we go. 
After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we see in this story, we see an interaction of three different people. Um, uh, First of all, uh, we see the tax collectors. And we see Levi, which is also known as Matthew. Um, And uh, Jesus calls Matthew or Levi, and we see that he immediately follows Jesus. Because what an honor for Jesus to call Matthew. The honor comes because as a tax collector, the tax collectors were probably the most despised of all Jews. Um, It is not just because, you know, they're IRS agents. It's not just because people don't like to pay their taxes. That is not what it is. We need to understand that at the time, the tax collectors were the agents for the Roman Empire that through their work, they were helping fund the Roman army, which in turn uh, were uh, uh, viciously suppressing everything that the Jews did. Um, Yes, there was peace in the land, but it was peace that was brought by a cruel, vicious tyranny of might uh, through the Roman Empire. And so they were seen as basically betrayers. Uh, The tax collectors, not only were they betraying their own people and supporting, uh, making it possible for the Roman uh, Empire to crush any desire that the Jews had to to rule their own country, but on top of that, the tax collectors, almost in every case, uh, uh, were corrupt and taking more for themselves. They were lining their own pockets at the same time. Uh, so not only were they traitors, uh, but they were uh, corrupt thieves. Um, and, and so they were seen as the worst of the Jews. Um, so the tax collectors were there, and not only Matthew and Levi, but then he brought his friend tax collectors and, uh, at this meal that they were having. And then it says not only were there tax collectors, but there were sinners Um, the tax collectors were there, but then the sinners were there. The sinners were those that the Jews saw as as immoral. They were the wicked. They were the prostitutes. They were um, uh, those that uh, were definitely not following the law of Moses. Um, These were the outcasts. These were the people that were not good enough 
to be in the temple or to uh, be in the synagogues and, and were not following God. They were, they were the unclean. And, and so we have these two groups of people, the tax collectors and the sinners. And then we have the third group, which was the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees, um, they, were, they were the good church-going people. And I know sometimes they get a bad rap. We see them as, as uh, 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 the ultimate um, uh, uh, legalists, and some of them definitely were, but really they were the people that cared about God. Um, uh, other than the, the worst of them, they were the fundamentalists that were just simply trying to keep everyone in the word of God based on the word of God because they have seen what happens when they had moved away from uh, uh, following the law of God. They remembered the captivity. They remembered when Jerusalem was destroyed because they would not follow the law of God. And, and so we need to understand that the Pharisees um, uh, are not um, uh, to the point that many times we, we put them in, but, but they were the fundamentalists of today. They were probably, many of them were like us that they just had a heart for God. And so, yes, it did hurt them when they saw these people trampling the word of God and, and not following God. And so they desired um, uh, for, for those to um, come back to the, the practice of what God had given them. And as these three um, people interacted, um, the, the conflict uh, from that arose. And we know that the Pharisees came to Jesus' disciples. How can you, if you are teaching the word of God, and this is an honest answer, uh, question. I think sometimes we don't stop and think that we do the same thing. If we are honestly living for God, how can you be in that environment? How can you go there? How can you be with those people? And, and, and to eat with them, he was not just doing, see, we will say this, okay, you can go in that environment as long as you're evangelizing. I'm going to tell you, Jesus was not evangelizing. He was eating and having a good time at supper with those people. When you have supper in that day and age, the meal was way more important. You only have a meal with someone when you want to build a relationship with them, when you are saying, I will be your friend. Um, and, and so they were saying, Jesus, you're not just preaching to them. You're not just taking the word to them. You're just sitting down and, and just being with them. You, you are, what are you saying that their lifestyle is okay? That's basically what you're doing by eating a meal with them. And, and so this was the conflict um, that was happening in this um, interaction. And it, and it was not a one-time thing. This happened many times throughout Jesus' uh, ministry. But here's what we need to look at. Jesus' response is the key to everything. Again, the same as Jesus' response to Satan in the temptation, it is Jesus' response here that gives us the insight to what the journey that he's trying to take us on. He says this great statement, those that are well do not need a physician, but those that are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. What is he saying when he responds that? Here's what he is saying. The first thing that Jesus is saying 
is he reveals how God looks at all of us, at all of humanity. Jesus is making this statement. Humanity is sick. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you are all sick. There, 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 is, there is no one that's left out. All of humanity is sick. The only difference is here's what we've got. We've got a split between two people. We have those that know they're sick and those that don't. That's the only difference. Jesus is saying, we are all sick. We all have need of a physician. There's just some of you who don't know it. There's just some of you who are living, and, and, and I would say that most of them did know it, but they were trying to meet it their own way. Um, they were trying to take care of it themselves. And how many know that there are some sicknesses you can't take care of yourself? It's like saying, okay, I, I, I know that I have cancer, but you know what? I, I'm just going to exercise. I'm just going to do really good. I'm going to take care of this. You're a fool. You need a doctor. There's things that we can't do, but yet we have deceived ourselves. But the ultimate thing that we need to come to this realization is that we are sick. Now, here's the problem. Culture has always, from the beginning of time, fought against this idea. It, it will always say that, no, humanity is basically good. Everyone is basically good. Now, we may do some bad things, but we're basically good. Um, and, and today, we live in a culture that will tell us that, that you know what? We are basically good. It's about finding the goodness within us that we just need to begin to, to look in ourselves and build ourselves up um, and, and find that because we are all basically good. And when we're not, it's because of, you know what? It's because of what happened to you. Well, you didn't have a chance. Look what you were raised in. Of course, these people are bad. Look what they've done, but that's only because of, of what they were given. And the Bible says that's not true. Yes, bad things happen to people, and sometimes your childhood is terrible. It has nothing to do with the brokenness in you. It may accentuate it. It may make it easier to get out of our own sickness, but it's all our own sickness. We are sick. We need to understand that, that we simply are sick. Now, even though culture has always said that humanity is basically good, they've kind of taken different routes. Earlier, uh, throughout a long space of history, most of history, there's been this idea that we could make the world a better place. That, that, that we as a society, we just need to learn to get along with each other. We need to create better societies, and we can make this world a good place to live in. And so there was, there was always a, a, a feeling that different nations just needed to work together, that, that if we could just come together, we could build a, a better world. And, and so over and over, there was always these attempts and, and it failed. But then finally, especially after three, 4,000 years of war, and then as that intensified, and then we experienced what we had never experienced ever before in World War I, and World War II, where now it was not just, I mean, we've always had wars, but, but these, the whole world was devastated. Uh, we've seen it even beyond that. Then we saw the, uh, areas like Vietnam and Korea. 
to where it, it seemed that the world finally came to this realization that, that, that I don't think we can make a, a utopia on earth. And, and so the popular view has moved away from making the world a peaceful place and even though there are those that are still focusing on that, but the main focus now in society is maybe we can't make the world a perfect place, but you know what you can do? You can make your life a perfect place. So now we are all basically good. It's just up to us to make our life. So it has moved inward to where now we are individually seeking that best life for us. And so we see this uh, outside the church and we see it inside the church, that, that if we could just have uh, the, our best life now, we need to work on the areas uh, that, that are, are holding us back and begin to make our life better. We have entered in to what we see today, um, and we touched on it a little bit last week, but it is this, this idea of the cult of self-esteem. That you know what? If everyone just felt better about themselves, then, then, then life would be better. Um, you know, if our kids just knew that they were precious, that they were valuable, and that they just began to believe in themselves, then they could accomplish, they could rise up out of all the different problems of the world because the world can't be solved, but maybe they can rise out of the poverty and everything by just believing in themselves, And so we see this in everything. As we mentioned last week, we see this in, in, our, in our media, in our kids' movies, um, in, in everything. And it's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's not bad to, 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 to believe in yourself. But many times it is a smokescreen to try and ignore what we don't want to see. And so we push this, that we can do anything if you just believe hard enough. If you just, you know, uh, don't listen to others and, and, and believe that I am good and find your own truth. Remember last week we talked about that expressive individualism. I, I mean, you have shows, and, and they're good shows, and I'm not putting down all the shows, but I'm, I'm telling us to, to be aware of what messages are being given. I, I, I mean, you look at uh, movies like Turbo. Have we ever seen Turbo? That a snail could win the Indy 500 or uh, the race. You know, it's these things that, we, we have moved away. We don't want to look at reality. That reality is bad. Don't, let, don't ever face reality. Everyone gets a trophy. Everyone's a winner. Instead of teaching one of us to, each one of us to overcome, the, the reality of the fact is that we can't do everything. Um, but we can accomplish what God has for us to accomplish. Um, but it is not this cult of self-esteem where it's just we can do anything if I just believe in myself, if I just uh, begin to uh, uh, put myself first and, and, and increase my efforts. You see, that, that's, that's a lie because this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, you're sick. You're not good. You're, you're, you're not, you know, the, the, the gift to the whole world just because you believe in yourself 
We are sick. You see, we need to begin. Nothing can ever change. And I know this is, this is the world. The world cannot accept this. To, to tell our kids that, that they are broken, that, that they are messed up. And yet Jesus says, you know what? You're broken. You're messed up. But we can never get better if you never tell a kid that he's sick, he's never going to go to the doctor. If you never want to admit that you need help, you're never going to find that in the one that can help you. We've got to begin to embrace this idea that we are sick, that we are broken, we see this not just from Jesus, but we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. He asks this question. He says, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Your whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to your head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. You see, Isaiah even is telling him, do you not realize from your head to your toe you're sick? And you can't make it better by just believing in yourself. You, you cannot just begin uh, to, to do better. I'm going to work on that. You're sick and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you can't just, I'm going to diet and I'm going to exercise. That's, that's great for the outward symptoms, but it does not address the inward disease that we have. Jeremiah chapter 17 tells us this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the world telling us to, if you would just follow your heart, you're going to find hope and, and meaning in life is crazy because your heart is sick. So you're following the very sickness. If you're following your heart, you are just going deeper and deeper into a, a, a quagmire of, of hopelessness because we are sick. We know this, that the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, he says this in Romans 7. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I know I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And he says this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You see, I agree that there's a lot of people that want to do right, but you don't have the ability to do it. And we know that, that, that the very things we want, we end up doing the opposite. And that is because we are broken. Psalm 53 tells us this. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. None of us do good. We can do outward pictures of good. We can do superficial good. It can look good on the outside, but it's always founded on selfishness or what I can get out of it or, or um, uh, the, the ultimate motives behind everything we do. There is nothing good. 
You see, we are sick. And so we've got to come to that place that we are sick. But here's the thing. Jesus went on. He didn't just say we're sick. You see, if we're sick, that, some people, okay, they'll accept that. Okay, we're sick. We're sick and we, we need someone to help us. Okay, that's fine. You know, that's why the world has thriven, th- thrived, thriven, I don't know what the word is, in therapy and psychology, because if we could just get someone to help us. Okay, I need someone to help me. I need someone to get my head on straight because you're right, I'm sick. But see, the problem with that sickness is kind of something that is not my fault. Okay, I'm sick. I need help. Come on, don't, don't blame me. And that is true, we are sick, but Jesus didn't stop there because he didn't want this idea that you could just, you know, go get some help and escape really facing yourself. He went on and he says, not only are you sick and sick people need a physician, but he said, I've come to call sinners because not only are we sick, but we are sinners. Now, you see, what's the difference there? There's a difference between being sick and being a sinner. Sick, it's not your fault. You you got something else. And maybe even someone gave it to you. It's their fault. They shook my hand, and they had the the virus, and they'd given it to me. But Jesus said, no, you're not just sick. You're a sinner. You know what a sinner is? You chose. You rebelled against God. You rejected God. You're not just sick. You're guilty of it yourself. You are accountable Now, wait a second. That's a totally different story. Telling me I'm sick is one thing, but now you're telling me I'm a sinner. Jesus said, I've come for sinners because you are all sinners. There are none righteous, no, not one. And not just because of your sickness and brokenness. It's because you have chosen it yourself. Don't just blame Adam and Eve. Okay, I was born into sin, so it's all of Adam and Eve. No, you've had plenty of opportunities yourself, and you've done it yourself. You have walked away from God. You have sought your own way. You have rejected God. And therefore, here's the thing. You're guilty. You are guilty. And I know the world says, you know, we need to eliminate guilt. Okay, work with what's broken and and work with that, but don't tell them they're guilty. You know what Jesus said? No, you're guilty. No, you need to know you're guilty. You're wrong. And that is all of us. We cannot... Make up for it. You can't just say, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry doesn't fix it. How many times we tell other people that? Sorry doesn't make me feel better. Well, telling God sorry doesn't change the fact that we are sinners. You see, David had this great understanding in Psalm 51. We know that as he cried out to God, he said, against you and you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified, God, in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, David says, I understand that I deserve judgment. Not just Am I sick and I need to treat it? But God, you're, you are blameless in your judgment because I don't deserve any help that you would give me. We need to understand that we are sick 
and we are sinners. You see, we are both tax collectors and we are sinners. It doesn't matter which way you look at it. We've got to come to that place that we understand who we are. Now, here's the problem. There's, there's the sick, there's the tax collectors and the sinners, which is us. But some of us are the Pharisees. And you know what? Jesus didn't give them a different message. He just said, you know what? You're just missing out because you don't realize that you are sick and you're the sinners just like these tax collectors and these sinners. You're in the same boat. And if we continue to be like the Pharisees and live in self-righteousness. So here's, here's the next step that we need to unself ourselves. The way we unself is we need to get rid of the self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is simply the blinding that we are sick. That there's nothing I can do to make it better. Everything that I do, even my religious service to God is nothing more than going on a diet and exercising when I have cancer. Okay, it may make you feel better for a short time. It may actually make you look better for a short time, but it has not cured you. You are still sick and dying. And if we continue to live in self-righteousness, and again, I'm not saying that everyone's a super legalist, that you're a jerk, you're so proud that, look, I am. Self-righteousness is not always that extreme. Self-righteousness sometimes is the kindest old lady that you ever knew that doesn't do anything right. They are good people, but they never embrace their sickness. You see, we're not accusing, good is not a, a opposite label of sick. You can be very good and heading straight to hell. Self-righteousness simply means that in your goodness, you are ignoring that you are sick. And if we live in our self-righteousness, you will have no use for Jesus, even though you love to talk about him. But you have no use for him. He's not making any difference for you, and he will have no use for you. Because we cannot come to Jesus on the basis of Jesus. You are great. And man, I love you. And man, you, I, 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 just, I just live by this philosophy and, and it feels good to believe in him. If we do not come to the place where we fall on our face in this, in this attitude of I am broken, Jesus, and I need you, not because you're a good teacher and I was raised in church and this is the, the good life, but because I am sick and woe is me that I even dare call you Lord. Remember, Jesus told the, this is what he told the church people, why do you call me Lord? You, you keep saying that a lot. Why do you keep saying Lord, Lord? But yet you don't humble yourself and repent as a, as a dirty rag. When we do not feel a crushing filthiness to our righteousness, then we are living in self-righteousness. And until we begin to experience that desperate understanding that I am worthless, I have sinned against you, God, just because I'm good and kind 
and, and generous to people and help people, that has nothing to do with my sickness. I am sick before God, and I need to repent. And if we never come to that repentance, you can be the greatest, kindest person who is going to be sent away, as Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Because unless we come to him as the physician in need and repentance, we are the self-righteous people. And we need to unself ourselves. We need to disconnect ourselves from self-righteousness. How is that? This is what Jesus said. Jesus said this. He said, blessed... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the people who don't think they're so good, but in fact, they are poor. I am no one. I am nothing. That's the person whose the kingdom of heaven belongs to. He said this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, many times people, we read this as those that are going through hard times in life and they mourn. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he said, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about those who look at their own life and says, how can I stand before God? Oh, God, forgive me. That's the mourning that he's talking about. They mourn over their own sin. They mourn over how they have treated God, not how they've been so kind to everyone else and how religious they are and they come to church. But they mourn in the understanding how sick their heart is. That even though I've done nothing bad, I know that inside my heart, man, I've been greedy. I've been selfish. I've hated someone before. Oh, God, forgive me. Other people do not even know what goes on inside me, and that breaks my heart. Blessed are those who mourn over their hearts, for they will be comforted. He said, blessed are the meek. For they inherit the earth. The meek are the humble that lay themselves down, that don't expect anything because I don't deserve it. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Those that understand that I am not righteous. No matter how good I've been, my goodness has been actually a sham before God. It's like God looking and saying, what a pretender you are. In fact, you make me sick because you're pretending to be good and your goodness does not even come close to what true righteousness is. He said, blessed are those who hunger for that, who understand that they are not righteous and they want something more. Are we hungry for righteousness? Are we hungry for him to cleanse this, this, this sickness within us? Well, here's the good news. We are sick and we are sinners, but Jesus said, I've come for you. See, you know why Jesus does not have a problem telling them that they're sick and telling them they're sinners and getting in their face? Because he's not worried about how they respond. He's not worried about hurting them because he said, I can say that because I've got the answer. I am your answer. I have come for you. Yes, you're sick, but I love you, and I'm about to make your dreams come true. I am going to heal every sickness. If you will trust me, you're sick, but I will make you whole. You are dirty, but I will give you my righteousness. You see, he has come for us. That is why those people love Jesus. Not because he told them how terrible they were. He was honest with them, and he said, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, but I have come for you. You see, I'm here for you. I will eat with you. 
I, I, I will not condemn you. But will you come to me? Will you let me be your physician, your savior? The sad thing is that many of us who call ourselves Christians, who sit in church, who Jesus has come for, many of us are not really Christians. We're not really Christians because of the fact that you think you've always been one. For many of us, the, the very thing that, that holds us back is the fact that you think you're a Christian. Until you begin to let go of this idea that I'm a Christian because I've come to church and I've always believed in Jesus and I've done good things and I've lived for him and I, and I believe in him. That is not what makes you a Christian. And many of us are missing out on being a Christian and are part of church and are being good people and you are great people, but you're not saved because you're thinking that you always were. Until we understand that I am not worthy, that I am nothing before God, and I humble and I begin to become broken before God, and then I begin to say, God, my hope is in you alone, and I am nothing. Until then, many of us live a deceived life because we have never experienced that full regeneration that comes from a full repentance. We are not Christians because we've just always been that. Or we're not Christians because we had one moment at the altar where I was sorry about what I've done and, and, and I said a prayer. No, we are Christians when we live in a constant awareness you see, it is a constant awareness. Repentance is not a one-time act. It is a lifestyle. It is when we have embraced a lifestyle of repentance, not did one religious act of coming to Jesus and asking him into my heart and Jesus forgive me. Phew, I'm, a, I'm a Christian now. And now from that point on, I go to church, I do good things. It is only when we are crushed by the filthiness of our own righteousness. And that is ever before us. In that prayer that David prayed, he said, it is ever before me. I live with a constant awareness of my sickness and my need for Jesus. I am constantly in a trust relationship with Jesus. When we enter into that place, then God is able to help us. So how do we come here today? How do we come to him? Many of us come in self-confidence. And maybe it's a confidence because I've put my trust in God. And so everything is okay. You know, that's not how we come to God. Even if we have trusted in God, it is not in a self-confidence that I'm okay but it's also not in a self-condemnation. It's not in saying, oh, woe is me, I am terrible. There's nothing I can do. And I'm just coming, I'm constantly uh, coming to church just hoping that things will get better and I can do enough. Again, that's self-righteousness too. Your focus is still on yourself. So we don't come in self-confidence, but we don't come in self-condemnation. So I'm not talking about a Christian is not someone who's always saying, I'm such a sinner, I'm always sick. But here's what it is. 
is that we come in humble gratitude, boasting in Christ. And that means that I am constantly living in a gratitude that I am sick, but Jesus is mine. So there's a constant humbleness. There's a constant realization that that I am not worthy, but there's a constant realization that I am moment by moment putting my trust in Jesus, but Jesus came for me. He is here for me. And when I begin to boast in Christ, that means that I begin to rejoice in him. He is my joy, not my goodness, not my religious nature, not what I do, but I become good and I become religious Not in becoming self-righteous, but because of what Jesus did for me. Because he came for me, I can then become that person as I am grateful for what he has done. So how do we unself ourselves? How do we die to self-righteousness? We begin to boast in Christ. We begin to put our eyes in Christ. We begin to live for Christ. We begin to receive him that he came for me. We begin to put on dinners for Christ. You see, Matthew, it said he immediately left his old trade. So yes, there's a leaving. If I'm sick, I need to stop doing some things. But it's not because I'm gonna earn something from it, but it's because of what Jesus is doing for me. I begin to constantly live for Christ. Everything I do is for Christ because he has come for me. He has given me a cure of what this world could never cure. Does that make you ever grateful? If we have ever experienced anything like that, you would understand that complete feeling of release and freedom. Not that I don't still have sin because there's always an awareness of remaining sin, but that is why I'm constantly humbled before God that every day, I am humbled until that day comes when we are completely cured. See, that day doesn't come until he calls us home. And then there will be a complete rejoicing in what God has done. But for today, I will boast in Christ. You see, Paul said this. I could have a lot of things to boast about. Paul said, I was the best of the churchgoers. I was, I was more learned than anyone I was more pure than anyone. I did all the rituals than anyone. But he said, I count everything as loss compared to Christ. When we come to that place, when we as a church begin to say, I count everything as loss for Christ, you know what you become? You become a beautiful church that that sinners and tax collectors want to come to. Because you know what? When we boast in Christ, all of a sudden, you're not so easily offended. Because when people say something about you or when things happen, you know what you think in your mind? Oh, I'm worse than what you think. No matter what you say about me, you you do know I'm worse than that. You see, when we realize how sick we are and we boast in Christ, no matter what people say, it doesn't hurt us because we know the real truth. And so we're not so easily offended. But also, we're not so easily critical. You see, the Pharisees who didn't realize they were sick They were very offended by Jesus, and they were very critical of the sinners. If we begin to become aware of our own sickness, who cares what people have to say about us? Because I know that's true, but Jesus is for me. 
And it's also when I see others, I don't begin to criticize them because, you know what, as bad as you are, I I know right where you're at because I've been there myself. When you begin to realize who you are, how can we be critical of someone else? Oh, you're not serving God the way you should be. Oh, really, like you are? There's not one person who is serving God the way you should. And if you think you are, welcome to self-righteousness again. When we begin to humbly repent before God, you see, he washes away the criticalness. He washes away the offense that you take. And all of a sudden, you become a beautiful person that draws this world to Christ. And beautiful people make a beautiful church where God can begin to create the kingdom of God in this place. So let's die to self-righteousness. Let's unself ourselves and realize that we are sick and we are sinners. But praise God, Jesus came for us and he has made a way. Let's bow our hearts.